Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Judaism 101.9, in fact, and it's Rabbi Michael Katz here with you. Great to be in your company again on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Um, as we say, a great day in Joburg. Uh, wonderful. We have sunshine. We have electricity. What else could one need? It's a wonderful, wonderful experience to be living in such a beautiful time. Um, but seriously, we're in the month of Kislev, and um, how more appropriate than the month of Kislev to think about the concept of light, the concept of making light, of bringing light. And I think that uh, perhaps with a little bit of a sense of humor, we could be thinking that ESCOM is really preparing us very, very well for Hanukkah, which is coming up, where we've got to light candles, where we've got to light Hanukkah lights, and we understand the spiritual power of those Hanukkah lights um, and the spiritual power of the light that we can create and the light that we can bring with or without electricity, we can make sure that we light up uh, this entire world. And let's rather be focusing on what we can do in order to bring more light into the world rather than thinking about bemoaning our fate as um, not having um, light, not having enough light. Well, maybe we should be inventing ways to get out there and to create it, at least in a spiritual sense and perhaps how much more so in a physical sense as well. But, you know, the month of Kislev is full of a really, really special times and special dates. It is a fascinating month altogether. In my discussion yesterday with um, the High Kids show, we were talking about the um, spiritual content or the spiritual ideas behind Hanukkah. And if we think about it, it's during this month, this special month, which is really singled out for uh, special treatment. It is during this month that we salute, that we think about, that we focus on the tremendous power that we have from a spiritual point of view, because that is, in fact, what the Assyrian Greeks tried to take away from us, to take away our spirituality, to take away our uh, kedusha, our holiness, to try and make us um just like everybody else. In fact, it is the special month of Kislev that really accentuates the, not the differentness or not is what is different about being Jewish, but what is special, what is holy, what is spiritual, what is uplifting, and what actually is our mission to bring light to an entire world um, in a physical and a spiritual sense. So, there are so many dates in this month that really speak to this theme. And in fact, one of them begins tonight and tomorrow. Well, believe it or not, today is the 13th day already in the month of Kislev. We're almost at the halfway mark of this beautiful month of Kislev. It seems like just a day or two ago that we were talking about it being Rosh Chodesh. And here we are talking about the day of the 13th. Of Kislev, which means that tonight at sunset it becomes the 14th and the 14th of Kislev. Yud Dalad Kislev, the 14th of Kislev, is a very special date in the Chabad Hasidic calendar. It is the day on which 91 years ago, yes, 91 years ago in 1928, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe and his Rebbets and Chaya Mushka Schneerson were married. This was tonight, tomorrow, was their wedding anniversary. Now, the Rebbe spoke many times um, on the occasion of the wedding anniversary about some significant things that are important to know when it comes to a marriage, when it comes to the concept, the idea 
of a marriage and the celebration of a wedding anniversary is not just about uh, what did you buy me and what did I get you and if you remember the date or you and if I'm going to send you flowers or not, but there is a lot more to a wedding anniversary or to the concept of a wedding and a marriage than um, readily meets the eye. It is not just about people living together. It is not just about raising a family. It is actually instilling in this world the concept of spirituality that should exist between God and the Jewish people, which we just use or we have um, marriage, the idea of the relationship between a husband and wife, is a metaphor for the way we interact with the Almighty, the idea of it being give and take, the idea of shared responsibility, the idea of joining together in order to build this world, the idea of employing every single one of our faculties and abilities and um, parts of our lives to ensure that our mission on this world is um, so much greater than it could be and that it is if we uh, remain alone. So the concept, the idea of building a Jewish home is a metaphor not only for building the world, but also for building the Beit HaMikdash, for building a temple, for building a beautiful everlasting domain that will be a source of light, a source of encouragement, a source of education, a source of upliftment, and a source of inspiration for the entire world, for everybody to be able to look at and to live up to and to follow. And when we think about marriage in that type of light, it makes it not only so much more meaningful, but suddenly we start understanding, I think, a tremendous amount about what marriage per se is really truly all about. And the Rebbe used to speak very often about various dimensions, things that um, should be integrated or should be understood in the marriage, not only from a philosophical point of view, but from a practical, from a physical point of view as well. Um, the first notion, I think, when a young man brings a young woman into his life or and she brings him home perhaps to meet the parents is um, what does he do for a living? How is he going to support her? You can't get married until you have enough income. And all of those very, very practical and important dimensions, which um, <coughs> kind of belie the fact that we do not perhaps first ask the young man we're walking through the door or the young woman walking through the door to marry your son, perhaps, do you live? Never mind what do you do for a living, but do you actually live? Have you got a life? Have you got a meaningful life? Is there something to your life that is more than just um, perhaps partying or um, making money or doing any of those other things which are and should be in the support role rather than in the fundamental role? The fundamental role should be do you live? Are you going to be able to create a life together that is going to be meaningful, that is going to be special, and that is going to be an example, not only for your children, but for everybody else to be able to honor and to follow? Look forward to being back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So while we're thinking about marriage and we're thinking about the Rebbe's marriage, which took place on the 14th of Kislev, tonight and tomorrow being the 14th of Kislev. The Rebbe gave many, many, um, sometimes very 
simple but sometimes very important instructions um, and ideas of how to actually set up a Jewish home. And it's not necessarily in the way that um, ordinarily you would expect that a rabbi, a rabbi, would instruct people to set up their Jewish home. And what I mean is that one of the famous or favorite things that the rabbi wanted in a Jewish home was a charity box. In fact, he spoke about the fact that charity boxes would be a very good wedding present. Give people a very nice pushka. Give them a nice, beautiful charity box. And in fact, that this charity box should be something that is a fixture in the home. It is not something that is um, just there kind of when you need it or that it's put locked away in a cupboard, but something that is a fixture, something that is visible, that the children, that the people, that the guests, that anybody coming in and out of the home can actually see that this is a home that gives charity. And in fact, the Rebbe even referred to the fact that this charity box is something that should be visible even on Shabbos. Um, the fact is that on Shabbat and Shabbos we don't give charity. But the visibility of it, the fact that people know that this is something that is a dimension of the home, which is a home that is not just about how much can we suck out of this world, how much can we take to become consumers, as is the modern terminology, but rather to become givers, that how can we make a difference in other people's lives? How can we give to the world? How can we become providers rather than consumers? How can we become givers rather than takers? How do we become donors rather than donees? And the idea of a charity box in the home, fixed to a wall in the home, and uh, the rebel later um, wanted that it should be something that is done particularly in the kitchen, that when a woman is catering for a family when she is providing for the mishpacha or the family or uh, cooking up a storm on a Sunday um, for their bri or whatever it is, that there is the awareness of the fact that there are people who don't maybe have um, enough to eat and that there is always the idea of while I am making a lovely delicious meal perhaps that I can always be thinking about others, that I can give to others, that I can donate to, donate to them in whatever form possible, that the idea of the giving of charity of tzedakah is something that should be a foundation of the Jewish home so that was one very important idea the idea of the home being set up in order to give the home being set up in order to be there for others the home being a a very very important um, philosophical dimension within the minds of the particular couple who are setting it up as well as of course the family that they're going to bring into that home the family that they're going to create in that home that that should be one of the underlying root um, uh, fundamental principles within that home that we're givers that we're donors I've often thought about it have you ever thought about how is it that you teach your kids to give well they need to see you giving they need to know that giving is part of the cycle of the home um, when people come around collecting um, when people come around asking for charity that there should be an image that children have that they see mommy or daddy that they see the parents giving and the idea of having a charity box within the home um, is a real fundamental um, therefore of Jewish marriage and of Jewish setting up of the home.
Now, just before we started um, today by some divine providence, because it certainly wasn't something that I chose, but um, a song was played here um, right at the outset, the idea of, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its ability to function, which is um, taken from Psalms, from uh, the book of Tehillim, um, a psalm round about uh, the 130s um, is where it appears in the book of Tehillim. And this psalm, this beautiful um, phrase of um, is played very often at weddings. It's uh, often something that um, I guess us rabbis have a little bit of a chuckle about that um, many of the people who sing it um, get some of the words wrong. Um, and we need to make sure, perhaps, that we just look into the Tehillim and say those words correctly. Uh, because one of the words famously that um, some of our um, song artists at weddings get wrong is the word ezkerechi, um, the idea of zachor, of zechira, of remembrance. It's with a zayin, and they somehow say, seem to be saying etkerechi, which um, I'm not quite sure what that means. But we need to make sure that we get these words right. But the wording being correct about it is not as uh, much what I wanted to mention here, but other than the idea of having a higher purpose of understanding that our homes are set up in the model of the Beit HaMikdash, of the temple. Um, this, in fact, is brought to every wedding, every Jewish wedding. At the culmination of the wedding, the groom um, is asked to break a glass, and the idea of breaking the glass um, is usually accompanied by that particular song taken from Tehillim, where we say, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget what it is supposed to do, um, and um, then we go on to say, um, may my palate uh, cleave to, may, may my, my tongue cleave to my palate. If I don't keep on mentioning this, we need to keep on mentioning and thinking about our Return to Jerusalem, our aspiration to be a holy people once again, our aspiration to be this light unto the nations that we're supposed to be, and particularly in the month of light, in the month of Kislev, this idea of aspiring to be something much more than just another home, than just another person, than just another individual of being something really special, not only to those in our immediate orb, but those all around us and to, in fact, into the entire world. And so the idea of having the higher purpose of not only living up to being givers, donors, um, but being people who are bent on a higher purpose, on achieving, on accomplishing something more than just our mere existence. And being consumers, we rather need to be givers. We rather need to be uh, providers rather than consumers. And so as we um, then think about Yud Dalet Kislev, the 14th of Kislev, it is perhaps an important time for us all to reflect, not only those who are getting married, but those who are already married or those who aspire to be married, that there is something very, very important to this concept of marriage. Somehow, um, if you talk to anybody, uh, somehow marriage it can lose its way and it can become something that is um, a punishment, God forbid. It can become something that is very, very difficult in people's lives. And perhaps if we adopted an attitude of that this marriage is something really, really spiritual, that it's something really, really um, holy and special, it is called kiddushin, it is called holiness by the very act of um, a 
performing the marriage, of getting married, we talk about it as being an act of holiness, that perhaps if we got the holiness back into the mindset of those who have gotten married already and those who are about to get married, those who aspire to be married, that we'll be going a long way to understanding or actually fulfilling what the idea of a Jewish home and Jewish marriage is really truly all about. So we move on then from the 14th of Kislev to two dates that come up next week. Um, In the early part of next week, Tuesday and Wednesday, is in fact what we call Yud Tet, the 19th, and Chaf Kislev, the 20th, the 19th and the 20th of Kislev. And what are those all about? Well, those are two significant Chabad dates as well, <coughs> but predominantly adopted by many within the um, Jewish world as being very, very special dates. In fact, from a Chabad point of view, they are known as Yemei Gu'ula. They are redemption dates. And the reason being that the first one, the 19th of Kislev, was the date on which the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shnir Zalman of Liadi, was released from his first imprisonment. Um, it was on Tuesday, Parshat Vayeshev. So it will correspond almost exactly with this year, uh, 5559 in the year 1798. Towards evening, um, he was released from imprisonment. Now we've got to remember <coughs> that every one of the Chabad rebbers served some time in prison, and all of them for the same reason, and the reason being their heinous crime, in averted commas, of spreading Judaism, of teaching Torah, of opening yeshivot, of making sure that um, they taught Jewish children in a holy and spiritual fashion. Um, and this was much to the dislike of, uh, first, the Chabad Rebbe's under the Tsar, which, of course, was in the time of the Alter Rebbe, and then even later on, where they crossed swords, literally, with the communists. Um, so they were kind of never on the right side. Um, it was either... Uh, to be dominated by the Christianity of the Tsar's uh, empire, or it was to be dominated by the communists later on with no religion um, being permitted whatsoever. Um, Each one of the Chabad Rebbe's was arrested and imprisoned, and uh, not the least of which was the Alta Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, Ravashnir Zaman of Liadi. And in fact, the 19th of Kislev and the 20th of Kislev were his Yemei Gula. They were the days that he was redeemed. Now, it wasn't just that a simple individual was imprisoned and then let go, you know, that in itself could be a great celebration. But how did it become that these became days of great celebration for Jews everywhere and for their followers everywhere? Well, it wasn't just that now we kind of were exonerated or that now our uh, Rebbe was uh, let out of prison and therefore it was a time for great rejoicing, which is a moment to rejoice for anybody who has ever redeemed from imprisonment in any form and in any nature and in any way. But this was rather the idea of it was kind of the turning point within the um, uh, mystical and spiritual and um, um, educational part of the Chabad Hasidic uh, community and movement because it kind of marked the moment really that the teachings of the Rebbe were released. They were let out of jail. They had been in some kind of an imprisonment. And so once again, we turn back to this idea of darkness and light, of the revelation of the Hasidic teachings of the Rebbe that came out of a form of imprisonment or out of 
the dark and now were being revealed. There was the possibility that they could continue to be revealed to the world um, by the Rebbe. And of course, he was the author, not only of the uh, Shulchan Aruch Harav, as some people call it, we call it the Alter Rebbe's Shulchan Aruch. Uh, he was also, obviously, the uh, magnum opus of the um, Alter Rebbe was the book known as the Tanya, or the magnum opus known as the Tanya, the collection of great writings and teachings of uh, Hasidic philosophy that became the blueprint for the Chabad movement uh, from then on in. And this was all really attributed to these days, these days of redemption, the idea of gula, the idea of revelation, the idea of bringing light out of darkness. Isn't that really what this month of Kislev is truly all about. And so when we celebrate the fact that we have light and we celebrate the fact that the lights are on and they celebrate the fact that um, there hopefully won't be too much more load shedding, we really are thinking about this idea of light and the idea of this special month where light actually comes to the fore and makes a difference in our world. I'll be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So when you think about it, the month of Kislev is really all about bringing light. Bringing light where there was once darkness, changing things, making sure that the darkness fades away, uh, making sure that the darkness is dispelled. You know, there are so many beautiful images um, with candles and with the idea, the concept of light, and it is often remarked. Um, that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. You only have to walk into a dark room with one little candle, and it's an amazing thing. One flame, how that one flame can light up and get into the smallest and furthest recesses of that particular dark place, and it can bring light there. This is the power of light. The power of light is such that it can keep on giving, and it can keep on growing and it can keep on multiplying and it in itself is not diminished and if we think about those kind of images against the backdrop of some of the things that we were talking about the idea of redemption the idea of um a light light prevailing over darkness if we think about the concept of marriage and how it should be set up in order to bring light in order to bring credit to others in order to bring um, good things to other people and to be uh, donors rather than donees givers rather than takers if we think about all of those things um, we've kind of got our heads a little bit around the philosophy of the month of Kislev, this incredibly beautiful, powerful month of light that we are in. And then towards the end of the month, we have the opportunity to really focus on Hanukkah. And Hanukkah, besides everything else, is a time when we really salute the power of light. And we really salute the power of brightness. Now, it's not to say that we're afraid of the dark. And it's not to say that we are scared when it is dark outside or um, that we have fears of the dark because, on the contrary, a, a, an individual needs to know that God goes with you wherever you are and God is with you whether it is light or whether it is dark. But rather the idea, the notion of a darkness, and sometimes there is darkness in the world in different kinds of ways, in different fashions. There is darkness in the world sometimes when we think about um, darkness of ignorance. 
And the fact is that every time you can enlighten somebody, think about that word, we are bringing light to their lives. You are creating a light around their minds, around their knowledge. When we think about the idea of darkness as in uh, not only an ignorance, but sometimes there's an ignorance of certain things. There's a great darkness that is uh, being instilled in people around the world in the form today of anti-Semitism. When we can bring light to that kind of an environment, when we can not only show how it is that Jews do behave and how we are meant to behave and how we can be the shining examples for everybody else to follow. But when we can truly, by um, a leadership and by examples of great um, um, forward thinking, um, we can really be this supposed light unto the nations. We can continue to um, give people direction on all issues, not only on technological issues or on uh, creative issues, but in fact on spiritual, moral, ethical issues as well. We then have got something right um, about this month of light. So be back with you right after this uh, to sum up. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. I think most people know that when it comes to the festival of Hanukkah, that we light one candle on our menorah on the first night, two on the second, three on the third, and so we increase. And each night we light an extra candle on the menorah until we have reached the number eight. On the eighth night, we light eight candles. Now, there is a famous um, disagreement between the house of Hillel and Shammai, great Torah scholars, sages of old, who saw things from a different perspective. They saw things differently. We cannot possibly say that they were, that either of them was wrong in their thinking, but Hillel says that that is the way that we should light the Hanukkah menorah, that we should light one candle the first night and increase until on the last night we've lit eight. It is Shammai, Beit Shammai, who say that it should go in reverse order. It should rather start with eight, diminish by one. Each night until on the last night you light just one. And uh, in grappling with it, we think about the idea which seems to be more plausible and fits better with our philosophy, with our thinking, that Hillel must have been right. That is the way that we do it. And um, it seems more appropriate to keep on increasing rather than decreasing. Isn't that part of the philosophy? We should create more light rather than less. And so each night adding to it. But in fact, if we think about really what Hillel and Shammai were about, it seems that Hillel looked at everything really from a practical point of view. And if we think about it in these terms, when you go to sleep at night and you uh, look back on your day, um, you should think about all the good things that you've accomplished. I did this for that person. I did this for that one. I gave so much charity. I did so many good things. These are the mitzvot that I did. This is the amount of time that I spent davening. I connected with Hashem. Wonderful. I can go to sleep and have a good night's rest, understanding that I have done so many wonderful things during the day. Shammai perhaps looked at things from a bit of a harsher point of view because he looked at potential. It's much more difficult and maybe it'll cause you not to sleep if you're going to sleep at night and you think about all the things that you could have done. Shammai looked at potential. On the first night of Hanukkah, we have the potential for eight 
eight lights and therefore light eight. He kept on saying then with each day you've actually lost more opportunities and with each day you therefore diminish until on the last night you can only accomplish the light of one. If we think about that in terms of our thinking about our lives, perhaps a little bit of a combination of the two philosophies is quite a healthy balance that each and every one of us should adopt. We've got to, yes, acknowledge and think about all the good things we've done, but we dare not rest on our laurels. We've got to think about all the things that we could still do. Think about the wondrous, wonderful, beautiful things that we could still do, the amount of light that we could bring into this world, the things that we could continue to create and the amount of energy we could actually put into it all in order to make this world a far, far brighter, lighter, and better place for us all and that is the philosophy of Kislev let's think about it let's try and do it let's try and create a month that is filled from beginning to end wall to wall filled with light for ourselves for those around us for everybody to bask in and to enjoy I look forward to being back with you again same time same place next week please God um, for another session of Judaism 101.9